Welcome to Group Work. I'm your host, Katie K. May, and I interview mental health therapists to find out what happens in the space where group therapy takes place. Take a deep breath and find your seat inside the circle. This episode of Group Work is about to get started. Today on Group Work, I'm welcoming Jamika Cropper Pam. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified TFCBT therapist, and AAMFT approved supervisor. Jamika is the assistant clinical director at Center for Families and Relationships and has her own private practice, cultivating growth counseling in the Philadelphia area. Jamika, I'm so excited to welcome you today. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah. So a little bit behind the scenes for those listening, Jamika actually provides MFT supervision for a subset of my team who are MFT therapists working towards their LMFT. So I am excited to hear a little bit behind the curtain of what you've been working on with my team and, and the kinds of support that you provide to therapists in general. So with that being said, give us your introduction of who you are and what you provide to therapists in your supervision group. My name is Jamika Cropper-Pam. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and an approved supervisor, and I run supervision groups. I'm very systemic in my approach, and I like to have everybody be collaborative and work as a team. Awesome. I love that. And I think that teamwork and group work go hand in hand. Like they're very much, you know, flip sides of the same coin, even though sometimes we don't look at groups as teamwork or team building Exactly. Um, for some people. Yeah. So before we get into the nitty gritty of what your supervision groups look like, I always want to understand what led someone to this work. And I'm curious about Jamika, who were you when you were in high school or growing up that led you to feel really passionate about cultivating the growth of new therapists in the field? So I didn't discover psychology, I think until like my senior year of high school, I took like you know, senior year, you get to pick classes. So I was like, let me take this psych class. It was the easiest class I had ever taken. (laughs) And it was interesting too, but it like came, I think it was easy because for me, it came naturally. So like doing the readings, writing the papers, taking the tests, the quizzes, like everything for me, I felt just like clicked and everything made sense. And I was like, oh, I'll just major in psychology when I go to college. This, This is a no brainer. I love that it was such a natural path for you of like, and I see that often when people go into coaching or mentoring or, you know, supervision is that what comes easily for you, it means that it's a gift for you. And then you can help pull that gift out of other people. And it sounds like that's a part of your truth in this experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think I thought that like, oh, this would be easy for anybody, right? Until I met people in, in undergrad who they were engineers or business people taking certain psych classes and it was not easy for them at all. Like they could not wrap their brain around like what we were doing and writing papers. And I was like, oh, so this isn't like common. <laughs> yeah, I actually think it's interesting because I don't find it particularly seamless to do supervision now. And I think like, 
Okay. So I work with teens and I find it really easy for me to tap into the teen experience. You know how sometimes parents forget what it was like to be a teen. There's no part of me that forgets what my experience was like as a teen. But I think because I've, I've grown so much in knowledge over the past seven years as a therapist, I sometimes forget what it's like to be a new counselor and the uncertainty and the, the greenness that you come into the field with. So I'm curious if you like, if you still have your finger on that pulse enough to feel like it it is so easy for you to give back in this way I would say yeah definitely I like that comparison of like yeah when we working with families I can speak clearly to like any child's experience and parents are so like far removed and I think the same thing applies with supervision where like I not that it's like it was yesterday but I remember the things I got and didn't get and I know that like bad supervision can make or break whether or not someone stays in this field yeah, and having totally. like seen that happen, it makes me even more passionate about wanting to to do this. And I think being a black woman in this field, where it it is predominantly white, putting a, like putting a different face on what supervision looks like, putting a different face on what therapy looks like. I was in a, a Facebook group on the other day, and someone had a post of like, "Who has ever had a black supervisor?" And so many people in the comments had never like had been in the field for 10 years, yeah. never had a supervisor that was black. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's such an important thing to consider, especially in diversity of your support and having black women represented in the supervisory roles is, is an important part of our field for sure. And I appreciate that. I also think it's it's helpful to consider that you're doing this work and you're supervising in this work. Like you have a private practice, you're seeing clients, you're you're in a couple different positions in terms of like owning your own business, being a director in another business, supervising new therapists. And so you really have this unique lens through which you can support new therapists in the field, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I hadn't thought about it that way, but like I, I, I work with a lot of interns at my full-time job. And so seeing people come in and like, going from taking courses and never having done therapy in your life and having to interview for an internship and and like, we throw you in, you have a caseload, you're a therapist. Like (laughs) watching that transition is is huge. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious to hear if you could break it down for me, like what does a group supervision session look like, you know, start to finish, if I'm watching it play out, what's that structure for you? Is there a structure? Is it organic? I need to be better with structure, but I like, I'm awful. I'm, I always wonder like when I'm in group at my other job, are people like, what is she doing? Because if, <laughs> you'd be surprised though. Nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah. So it's fine. <laughs> so if I'm, I think with your group, it looks a little different from, from my group. So typically like group at my full-time job, there's more of a structure because it is an agency setting. There's a lot more that we're overseeing and looking into and having to be mindful of. So I would have like a case presentation schedule in that group. For your group, I don't really have a case presentation schedule. I just kind of see, I let it happen organically because we don't meet every week or every other week. So it is very much like who has brought cases to the table, who has like questions, and, and I'm really open to questions about anything. Like it doesn't have to be pertaining to a systemic case. It, it, it doesn't have to be about a case. It could be about administrative stuff, things you're curious about, licensure stuff. Like it kind of, like I'm fine with answering whatever. And then we might move on to like the more clinical things where everybody then brings up a case that they're, they're struggling with. 
I don't need like a whole like essay. I just need, like if we were in person, I would ask that people bring a genogram so that everybody can watch, like read the genogram and get a feel for what's happening in the family. I love genograms. I feel like they're just a very simple way to conceptualize. And I'm not reading a five page paper. I'm reading this one map of the family. And then you can just talk about like where you're struggling at. So if you have a specific question you want to post to the group, something you need support around, and then we kind of rally around this, this issue you've brought up. And as a group, everybody talks about it. I typically try to take a step back. I don't, I actually don't say anything in the beginning unless it's like, like silence and then I'm like all right let me say something but other than that I kind of am like okay everybody what do you got do you got any advice you got any thoughts any questions and then the rest of the group kind of chimes in and they conceptualize and process that case with that person and at the end if I have things or stuff that comes to mind I'll put that out there that's really helpful to hear. And so what, what I'm hearing in how you're describing this is that you take on more of like a facilitator and connector role. So it's not necessarily that you're the consultant and everyone's coming to you with questions and you're answering them and it's like a, a back and forth type panel that it's more, it really is that group experience mm-hmm. where everyone's contributing to conceptualize cases to provide support. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there is that, that's very like strength based in my mind of like everybody getting to talk to someone else about their case, people giving, getting the opportunity to like hone their own skills and, and conceptualizing different kinds of cases, rec- almost recognizing in those groups sometimes that like, I've seen people kind of go like, oh, I know stuff. Like I do, I do know things. Yeah. Like, I can give this person <laughs> advice and I, I do know what I'm talking about. And I do, it's proof that you know what you're doing, right? And then like someone else being open to receiving feedback and looking at a situation from like a different perspective or a different theory, or just, you know, these people, someone else could ask a question that you like never even thought of. Yeah, which is part of the beauty of the group experience, right? Is that you're learning by other people's questions, maybe things you didn't know you didn't know until it came up in the room. Exactly, exactly. Or that you're like, you're headed in the right direction, like getting some validation that like, you're not crazy. Uh I always need that validation. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I'm curious about with new counselors, like how much didactic teaching shows up in a supervision group. And it's probably dependent on the group that you're supervising. But let's say you're supporting through the lens of ecosystemic family therapy, right? Which I know is, is a big modality amongst my team. Are there times when you're teaching versus providing support or insight or supervising? Is there ever a blend of that? Or is it more so just holding that space for them to kind of process and work through their own ideas on a case? Yeah, there's definitely times where I'm teaching where, yes, we're all trained in the ecosystemic structural family therapy. But I think that like, sometimes you lose sight of the model and we may have more direct conversations or I may give like very clear examples of what certain things look like. So if it's a matter of like, I know with your team, they do a lot of work with like teens, right? So the tricky thing with like family work is if you don't engage caregivers from the get-go, it is a struggle six months later when you now need them to come in or you now need them to be a part. And so we might, I might have a very direct like teaching moment of like, what it would look like to engage as caregiver, right? Like, what are the specific statements you can make? What are the ways in which you can join with them? Like, what is the exact structure of a session should or could look like that would be beneficial to you? Yeah, so like when I notice that everybody's kind of stuck or if I have like very clear, like 
idea of what the problem might be, then that's when I'll jump in and it'll be more of a teaching moment of like, this is how you could move forward with this. And I say could, because I'm, I don't ever want to be like you, you need to do it this. Like maybe if I was in the agency right. setting and like, you're my supervisee, then it is very much like you need to do it this way. And I, I'll mm-hmm. still throw out like, put a spin on the language of how you'd say it. Cause everybody has their own approach. And I want right. you to, I want you to become the kind of therapist that like you're being you and you're not being me. Yeah. It's authentic. Like you can follow the model and be adherent to a treatment modality, but still authentically be yourself within that model. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like what you're saying about, it it sounds like you're modeling, like you're modeling and scaffolding for these new therapists. I'm even thinking about my own experience in supervision at times where my supervisor at that time made some assumptions that I had some of the skills or some of the knowledge and was like, oh, just do this. And like theoretically explain something. And I felt so lost in the weeds of what was happening that I think that it's really important at times to have that that more clear and concrete modeling of what something looks like. Definitely. I'm a big advocate for like kiss, keep it simple. I take the stupid out because the stupid's not nice. But like it's judgmental. But, like, yeah. <laughs> keep it simple. Like I am so about like just using basic terms, like all the big words, all the jargon, like take that out because I think that that confuses people even more. And if we could just like break it down as simple as possible and give like real basic life ex- like examples of stuff, it goes a much longer way. And people, yeah, like when you're an early career therapist, you don't want anyone to think that you're stupid. So even if you don't know what someone's saying, you're not going to be like, what does that mean? Nine times out of 10, like the truth of most therapists distress is that they are going to look dumb or someone's going to think that they don't know what they're doing. And so the likelihood that you are going to open up and say, I don't know what what you're talking about is like slim to none. So keeping it simple early on never makes anybody feel like they don't know what's happening. And so I'm learning from you in this moment, Jamika, because that's been a theme among my team is this insecurity and imposter syndrome and self-doubt because we have five new therapists among a highly trained and seasoned team. And so there's been this like dichotomy in, in the experience levels that I think is creating some new realizations for me and how we work together as a team. And so I'm curious if that's ever a topic that's discussed in any of your supervision groups is like new counselor imposter syndrome or new counselor insecurity. I think that because every every group I have is like different too, like depending on like the personalities, depending on how long I've known some people. So in the agency setting, I've been there for seven years. So there are a lot of therapists that like, I've like, worked with from like early on up until now so we're friends right and so if you're in my supervision group and we do have a friendship that looks a little different from like people that I recently hired and are now in my supervision group because they don't even see me as like Jamika who was the part-timer they see me as like the assistant clinical director but I think it comes up in little ways of of even if people aren't saying it I will say like you know what you're doing like, you know yeah. what you're talking about and you have something that to bring to the table. And I think being in the group helps you see that because you're commenting on people's cases. People are thanking you for your feedback, right? Like I'm reminding people like, oh, that was like a really good thing to point out. And so th- like those little moments, I think are moments of validation. Even if you aren't saying to me specifically, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I still know that that's in you a little bit because that's in all of us, right? Like there's moments for everybody where we feel like, what am I talking about? 
I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but it's so important that your your feedback is reinforcing for them that like you you've got this, you know what you're doing, you're learning, you have these strengths, and it, you're so accurate that like we all have those moments of like, what am I doing right now? I'm having one of those weeks of like, what am I doing right now? So, and I try and instill that in my team too. Is like you know, no matter where you are in your career, something's going to pop up that you still don't know. None of us are at the end of our journey of learning and growing and and gaining support. And I'm always trying to model too of like, I still get supervision. Like it's not something I'm expecting of you that I'm not also doing myself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't think I will ever not get supervision, (laughs) right? Like I'm an approved supervisor, but I don't know that like, you know, even after I leave the agency setting, you know, one day in my life, who knows when, I don't know, like when I'm 50, like I probably still get supervision from somebody. Yeah, I think that's the way to growth, right? Like if I know the most out of anyone in the room, I'm not in all the right rooms. So I need to keep growing. That's my take at least. Yeah. Who would you say is a good fit for a supervision group? And is there ever somebody who's not a good fit who you're like, okay, individual supervision is great, but maybe not the group setting for you? I don't know that I would ever tell someone that like a group is not the right setting. I think potentially my group could not be the right setting for someone. Yeah. I think people who are open to learn, people who want to support others, like someone who can help to create a safe space for other therapists, like whether they be new or, you know, in the game longer, whatever the case may be. But I'm very big on like it being a safe space because in supervision, and I know a lot of other counseling degrees, they, they don't all focus a lot on self of the therapist stuff. But for me, self of the therapist stuff always comes up in all that I'm doing. And we, I even have like people in group who will ask those self of the therapist questions of each other in moments of processing a case of like, you know, what do you like about this parent? Or what is hard for you about this case? Or how are you feeling working with this client? Just to get people thinking about like what parts of them are coming into the situation. So definitely people who are just open to exploring those things. I would not want someone who is closed off or judgmental or, or not big on the sharing, at least in that kind of way, because it would just, it would just change the tone, right? Like if there's this one person in group who like refuses to go there every time, then it, it just messes the dynamic up. And I think as long as people come in open, ready to learn and ready to share, then we're, you know, we're good to go. Yeah. And that's, you're hitting my heart with these examples of really digging into who are we as a therapist and how are we humanly impacted by the work we're doing in the room. And I personally don't think that you can separate them, even if you pretend that you can. (laughs) There's no way. It's just part of who we are. Exactly. So do you have a screening process? Like if you're putting together a group supervision, I mean, obviously like with my team, it's different. They're all on, on one team. And I, you know, asked you to support them. But if you're running your own group supervision, like, are you doing an individual screening before you admit them into the group? What would that look like for you? I think, so most of the group supervision I do is really like within the agency setting where you don't have much of a say in terms of like who gets (laughs) plugged into what. I think we're very mindful of like the culture we want to maintain within the agency. So when we hire people kind of not fit a mold, but like that people are open-minded, people do want to learn, people are looking to like hone their skills and love systems and things like that. In terms of like, if I were to develop my own supervision group outside of those two spaces, 
I think I definitely would. It may be not a screening process, but I think I would make it clear to people who want to be in my group, what my group looks like and how I do things. And then it's up to them whether or not that aligns with like what they're looking for. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like right now there is a screening process in place. It just starts before they even get to that supervision group. I'm curious if you could, this is a challenge maybe, but if you could identify what are the values or the vibe of the supervision groups that you run, like what makes them important to you in terms of, you know, holding that space for new therapists? I would say like support is a huge piece, like just being in a supportive environment, being amongst people who support each other and want each other to win, right? Like it's not a competition, we're literally all therapists doing this together. And so having, just having that, like that supportive environment and that team effort, especially now with the pandemic, with everybody being so far removed from each other, you're not coming to the office and hanging out by the water cooler. That's not happening. You're in your computer screen and maybe your cat visits you sometimes. And like, that's, you know, so being able to connect and having connection is super duper important for me because I think that that is what kept me in the field up until this point, like working in community mental health. If you don't have healthy connection, it's not gonna go well. Yeah, no, I love this. And the statement that's sticking with me is like wanting everyone to win like that. I love it. Do you have a favorite group moment or, you know, some kind of standout moment that that sticks with you of like, this is it, like, this is why I do this work? I feel like I have a few, like sometimes it's, it could be just like funny moments where like last week we had a group, I don't know if she's going to listen to this, but she might kill me. We had a group, <laughs> it's a trauma group that I run with TFCBT therapists. And one of the therapists was, I guess she was on her phone in the Zoom and didn't realize like she has to like swipe the screens. So it was just okay. me and her on the screen. She's talking to me about, you know, what's happening for her right now. And, and she's also going to be leaving the agency soon. So we were kind of like talking about that. And she was saying, I'm going to have my camera off. So, you know, I, I when group starts, I, I have like things to do. And I just I have to have my camera off. Everybody was in the group at the moment that she was saying all of these things to me. <laughs> and she was like, it's just going to be us. And I was like, I was like, no. I was like, everybody's here. <laughs> And she was like, what? I'm like, yes, you've been talking for the last 10 minutes and everybody is here. We're all here with each other. And so it's it's moments like that where it's just like laughter, right? Like we're like, we're just weird. And everybody was able to like laugh about it and like, you know, talk to her and process the fact that she is leaving and, you know, give a spiel about her and the impact that she had and, and her give a spiel about like everybody in the group and the impact that they've had on her. So a moment that wasn't even clinical, that was just like people who have built this relationship with each other, being able to like laugh hysterically at something yeah. so so small, but like so big when you think about how disconnected we all are with, from each other. Right. It really speaks to that safety in relationships and even the container that you've created for your supervision where people can laugh about something like that and, you know, sit with those moments and be together and So I can understand why that's a standout moment for you. Yeah, definitely. And I think it was the highlight of everybody's day. Like it it was already like most of the people in the group had already worked their whole day. Like some of them go to the group and it's, it's not a day that they typically work at the agency. They may have just left their full-time job. So like 3 PM you've been working since nine, like being able to have that laugh probably was like everything. Right. Right. It's that connecting moment, which is so important. Yeah. 
What, if any, resources do you use to help you in being a supervisor in this process? I mean, as like for MFTs who want to become supervisors, there is a process you have to go through. So you do need to do a hundred and wait, no, 36 hours of like supervision of supervision. So it's almost like getting licensed again, right? Like you're doing, you're, you're collecting supervision hours where you're supervising people and then you're getting mentorship and supervision of supervision. And there's like a course you have to take and there's a paper you have to write. So there's like these hoops you have to jump through. And so I think that like, those were huge resources for me in the process of becoming a supervisor, because I mean, outside of being an MFT, I don't really know another counseling degree where they have a setup for that, where you have to do all of this stuff to say like, okay, I'm a supervisor. And I I think it like really gave me a framework and a structure and a, and a space to like figure out what, what supervision looks like and like what it is and what I want it to look like for the people that I work with. Yeah, I think it's so important. And again, like learning curve this past year with having new supervisors in our practice, I really love that MFTs have this, this framework for like, okay, you've done this work and now you are a supervisor. I don't know of NPA, like as, as an LPC, I don't think we have something like that. And yet, we're all at least at my center craving something like that. Like, how do we do this better? Like what, how do we, you know, give our best to the people that we're, we're supporting and make sure we're doing right by them. And so I'm really grateful that you have that and that you're contributing to the field with that knowledge and that expertise behind you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think when I first went into it, I was like, why are they making me do this? Nobody else has to do this. This is so not fair. And then being in other spaces with other people or, or doing other trainings where there are supervisors and I'm like, oh, you don't know this. How could you not know this? Yeah. Oh my God, what is going on? And I'm like, okay, okay. I can find like the gratitude in the fact that I had to jump through these hoops. Like there was a method to the madness. Exactly. Yeah. Anything we didn't cover that you think is important about group supervision that you want people to know? I don't think so. I would say like, do it. Like, I know that like predominantly when you're accruing hours, like the most important is that individual, but I would highly recommend people doing group supervision and, and finding groups that fit you, like similar to if you were going to find a therapist or find an individual supervisor, like finding the group that's going to be a good fit for you and asking those same kinds of like questions, like oddly enough, this isomorphic pattern of like these different levels and like the, the same questions, the same thought process still applies. That's really interesting. And something I hadn't considered is like shopping for the, the group supervision that's the right fit for you. It makes so much sense now that you're saying it. I just hadn't considered it before. (laughs) And then if you were to give like step one advice to a new supervisor who wanted to run a group supervision or a supervision group, what would you say? Like, how would you tell them to get started on the journey? I would say consult with another supervisor like definitely number one, because you are jumping into this like completely like have no idea what you're jumping into. So I would definitely encourage like talking to other supervisors, getting a feel for like what it looks like. And then just honestly, just going for it, like trial and error. Yeah. My best friends for sure is like, we're figuring it out as we go and iterating and making it better and gaining supervision and consultation in the process. And it sounds like that's that you're doing that as well. As long as you have the support, I think that you'll be fine. Awesome. 
So Jamika, you have a private practice. You are an approved supervisor for MFTs. Tell people where to find you if they want to connect you in the various ways you support. So the website is cultivatinggrowthcounseling.com. You can find me, you can find the website and like message me on there. My email is cultivatinggrowth18 at gmail.com. And I'm also on Instagram, cultivatinggrowthcounselingllc. Or you could just Google my name and I'll pop up and we'll go from there. (laughs) You are Googleable. That's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here today. I learned so much just from chatting with you and appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, this was awesome. I'm so happy that you invited me and like, you know, I'm, I'm one of the first group supervision. So that's so special. You're the only. Yes. (laughs) Thanks, Jamika. Thank you. Hey, Groupie, thanks for listening. For more resources on how you can market, fill, and run your group in private practice, check me out at becomeagroupguru.com.